may be seated. May be seated. Welcome, welcome to North Gainesville Baptist Church. Glad you're with us this morning. If you're visiting, we're glad to have you. Always like to encourage folks to visit at least four times. I mean, you know what? Even preachers can mess up sometimes. You may somebody may say somebody might not shake your hand one Sunday, but hopefully they will the next Sunday. But we try to be, by the grace of God, a, a loving, ch- a loving church, serving a living Savior, caring about our community. That's our goal. That's our heartbeat. That's what we want to be. But I hope you uh, can get to know us a little bit, be a part of service Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, find out a little more about us. We're glad you're with us. We have so many things. When school's out, you think the things will be less. But think things have gotten even busier since school is out. Several things we got going on this morning. Right after service, for those of you who have maybe, you're going to get your picture taken, but if you could just take a few moments, if you're involved in Vacation Bible School, to meet me just right down here for just a few minutes to have something to pass out to you. If, you, if you've been involved in Vacation Bible School or you'd like to be involved in Vacation Bible School, let me encourage you to meet with you just for a few minutes. That's coming up June 27th through the 30th. June 27th through the 30th. It's going to be the Great Pirate Adventure. And we'll look, yeah, our, yeah that's, and that's going to be the Bad Pirate. He's already got the ur down, so, you know, he's, he's I don't know if he's going to be P- Pete the Patch. I don't know what he's going to, I don't know what his name's going to be, but it's, it's going to be good. So we're looking forward to that. That's going to be this morning. And then, then for everybody else, if you're not, if you haven't gotten your picture taken, if you go to the Fellowship Hall, Jennifer's taking pictures for our church directory doing it today and also next Sunday. And I encourage especially every member and people who are faithfully attending to get your picture taken. We do a directory by every two years. It's a great way for us to get to one know, know one another and to pray for one another. I use that almost every day to pray through. It's a great blessing, so let me encourage you to take a picture. If you can, don't forget, ladies and children, it's Father's Day. Two weeks. Two weeks from the day. So you got plenty of time, ladies and, and children. Plenty of time. Two weeks from the day, Father's Day. Uh, June 25th, church-wide visitation from 10 to noon. Coming Things coming up July 2nd, we're having our barbecue cook-off. Brother Choi from Texas won last year, but uh, I, I love to see the different type of barbecues. You know, because there's different type of bar- barbecues, Texas barbecue and, and North Carolina barbecue and then Tennessee barbecue. I just like to eat all of it. Just just bring it. So we're going to be from 1030 to about 130. We'll have a little get together for July 4th, which it actually be. This will be on July 2nd from 1030 to 130. Toby Weaver and Redemption Trio from West Coast Baptist College will be with us, with us on July 6th. July 18th through 22nd, the team camp to the wild. So lots of things going on. Praise God. We're getting to be used by the Lord and glorifying his name through all these opportunities. Brother? Man, beautiful song. Thank you, Miss Robin. I did fail to mention, we had so many things going on. I did fail to mention tonight we will have our Pat the Pirate program. We'll have our normal introductory service with songs and tithes and such. And then we'll have the Pat the Pirate program for about 15, 20 minutes. I'll give a brief uh, message after that. Then after that tonight we have retirement party and kind of a going away fellowship for Bill and Emma Kimmler. They've been here for many years and uh, they are have retired and moving up to St. Mary's. So we're going to have some, some cake and ice cream and then whatever else you want to bring. Uh, somebody said, so what should I bring? I said, whatever you bring, and trust me, we'll have plenty of food. I've never been to a fellowship with a bunch of Baptists that we didn't have plenty of food. So uh, come join us tonight and uh, I know it's going to be sad, but they'll be here off and on throughout the time they'll be back to see us but we'll have a little fellowship with them after church this evening if you have your bibles turn to mark chapter 10 we've been going oh for several months i probably over near over a year 
through the book of Mark. We're in Mark chapter 10. And one nice thing about preaching through the Bible, no one can say, well, preacher, you picked this verse out for me today. No, I really didn't. It's just the next verses. It's just the next verses. Sometimes I preach on a verse, sometimes three or four verses, sometimes a section. But this morning I'm preaching from Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 1, chapter 10, excuse me, verses 1 through 12. Word of God tells us, And he arose from thence, and cometh unto the coast of Judea by the, by the farther side of the Jordan. And the people resort unto him again, and as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement to, and to put her away. And Jesus answers and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of creation God made them male and female. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And the house of disciples asked him again of the same matter. And he said to them, Whosoever put away his wife and marries another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Lord, there's lots of opinions when it comes to this area of divorce, remarriage. But God, we simply want to know what you say. Because your word is truth. It's always truth. Whether we like it or not, whether it hurts our feelings or not, whether we disagree with it or not, it's your word. And it is forever settled in heaven. So we thank you for it. I pray, God, you bring understanding and clarity. I pray, Lord, especially for that one who maybe does not know Christ as their Savior, that even through this message that's not focused so much on salvation or heaven, they would understand God's love for them. And the only hope they would have is Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, you bless this time. Give us ears to hear. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe the two most important decisions a person makes in this life is, first of all, placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Because without faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you shall perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know about you, but even as a young person, I didn't like that word perish. I didn't, I didn't, like, the, I didn't like the fact that the Bible talks about hell. Actually, Jesus talks more about hell in the New Testament than he does about heaven. But I don't know about you, but just simply I'd rather go somewhere as good than somewhere as bad. And, the, and I'm, I'm not going somewhere as bad because Jesus Christ has paid for my sin. I can't pay for it. Jesus Christ has paid for it. That's why he came and shed his blood. That's why he was buried, rose again, so we could have everlasting life. That is the most important decision in your life. More important than who you marry. More important than your job. More important than, your, than what motorcycle you ride. Or don't ride. More important than anything you do in life, the most important decision in your life is Jesus Christ. Because if you don't have Christ, you don't have everlasting life. He that hath the Son hath life, but he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. At 17 years of age, rebellious teenager from Taylor, South Carolina, I met Jesus Christ. 
as my personal Savior. I heard the gospel preached many times about God's love. But on that night, April the 15th, 1989, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. That is the most important decision. And I hope every one of you in this room, there's been a time in your life where you've made that decision. Just like there's a time where most of you, many of you in this room, where you were married. You fell in love with that special someone. If it's a guy, you fell in love with a girl. If you're a girl, you fell in love with a guy. You, you, you fell in love. You made that decision, that conscious decision to marry. The second most important decision in life is marriage. Marriage is the greatest of life, experience of life, or it is the closest thing to hell. It's a reality. 90% of my counseling is because of marriage. 90% of all my counseling is I spent time counseling people who are married. Some people married when they were too young. I mean, the, the brain doesn't even develop until you're like 25 years of age. And sometimes people married when they probably shouldn't have married. They didn't, they didn't listen to mom and dad. You know, maybe they married when they shouldn't have or, you know, they, they just went off and did something all of a sudden and they made, they made a bad decision. Oh, there's all, all types of reasons why people marry. But if I was to tell you that half of you who walked out of this, into this room would not walk out, you'd have some concern, wouldn't you? You'd probably think about getting out about right now. But the reality is, even among people who say they believe in Jesus Christ, half of us have gone through a divorce. That's reality. I remember counseling a couple many, many years ago who had a very troubled past. They had some serious issues with their children, and they had very little hope of making it. And I was reminded in my counseling that there's always hope when it comes to Jesus Christ. You see, I believe with Jesus, anything is possible. I've seen Jesus turn people that you would, you would look at them and say, that person has no hope. They're drunks and derelicts and lazy and bums and all type of issues. I've seen God, through Jesus Christ, change people's lives forever. They were going on a road of destruction, and they got saved, and they went to a road of righteousness. I've seen it. And if it can happen in a person's life, it can happen in a marriage. It can. I believe in miracles. Do you? I believe in miracles. If I didn't believe in miracles, dear friend, I wouldn't be behind this pulpit this morning. This morning, we're going to talk about the dilemma of divorce. First of all, the context. We have some notes at the back of your bulletin if you want to, if you want to try to make, take some notes. Well, this I'll call in the limited time that we have, there won't be an exhaustive study of the whole issue. It's, it'll take a couple, of sun, a couple of Sundays, but I want to go over these pas this passage at least. The context. First of all, we see the request. He arose from thence and coming to the coast of Judea by the father's side of Jordan, the people of Jordan unto him. And again, and as he was wont, he taught them again. Jesus was traveling south. Remember, his basically his ministry among Galilee was over. He'd minister there, the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, his home base. Now he's heading south. He's going towards Jerusalem. Well, as he was going, he would stop and he would teach as he was given a custom. And he would be on the other side of Jordan because he didn't, they wouldn't, didn't want to go through Samaria. For a Jew to go through Samaria was a, 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 a wicked thing, a hard thing, a and only Jesus chose to one time. He had to must go through Samaria to, to witness to that woman at the well. But typically, Jews did not go through Samaria. They went to the other side of Jordan to go south. So we see this request. 
But we see the reason. The Pharisees came to him and asked him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? The Pharisees asked him a question. And why did they ask him a question? For two reasons they asked. First of all, they wanted to divide the crowd. They wanted to divide the crowd. The Pharisees were always trying to divide the crowd around Jesus because they were envious of Jesus. They were covetous of Jesus. They weren't as popular as Jesus. And so they didn't like Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. Their way was not the way of, of the cross. Their way was, was the rules of the way of rules and regulations and, and more rules and regulations than in, even as you find in the Old Testament. They, they added rules and regulations because they, they thought in keeping these rules, it would equal salvation. And that's a fallacy of life. Some people believe even today, if I came to church today, tomorrow I'd go to heaven. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Going to church would never get, has never got anybody in the heaven. Being a Baptist or getting baptized or joining the church or giving an offering has never got a person into heaven. It's through Christ and Christ alone. Christianity is not a religion. It's not one of religions like Buddhism or Hinduism or Mormonism or Jehovah Witnessism. It's not an ism. It's a relationship with a person, a real person. You have that relationship with a real person because, friend, if you don't have a relationship with a real person, you're not really going to heaven. You have, you have religion. Religion dooms men. The Pharisees had religion. They wanted to keep the law. We've talked much about the Pharisees and Sadducees. They wanted to divide the crowd. You see, you see, there was two interpretations of divorce that were taken from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. It says, when a man taken a wife and married her, and it comes to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, you got found some uncleanness in her, and let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send out his house. And when she departed out of the house, she may go and be another man's wife. If the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and she sent her out of her house, if the latter husband died, which took her to be his wife, the former husband would send her away, may not take her again to be his wife, for after she is defiled for his abomination before the Lord, and, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for inheritance. So the confusion was in this passage some uncleanness. The, mind, the man finds some uncleanness in his wife. Now, there was two schools of thought, is typically, one conservative and one a lot less conservative. Rabbi Hillel, the, mo, the, the less conservative, had the interpretation that a man could divorce his wife for almost any reason. Uh, burning his food. Some of you would be in trouble. Allowing someone, to, allowing someone to see her ankles, letting her hair down, making negative comments about her mother-in-law. Or if all else failed because he simply wanted to marry somebody else. That was one rabbi's interpretation. Another conservative rabbi, Rabbi Shimei, was more strict, and he taught that the only, these words uncleanness referred only to premarital sin. If a newly married husband discovered that his wife was not a virgin, then he could put her away. The word, the word put away in the King James means to divorce, to divorce. So they wanted to divide him. And second reason why they asked him the question, tempting him, they wanted to destroy him. They wanted to divide him. They didn't want people to believe in him. They didn't want people following him because obviously he was popular. That, and, and popularity, of course, back then meant money. They didn't want the money to go toward the ministry of Jesus. They wanted the money to go to the ministry of, the, of themselves. So they, they, they wanted to destroy him. You remember John the Baptist, Mark chapter 6? He said of Herod, it's unlawful for you to have 
to have your brother and brother's wife. He told the truth. John the Baptist said, hey, Herod, you shouldn't have your brother's wife. It's unlawful. It's sin. It's wrong. Herodias, that wife, said, I want the head of John the Baptist. And what mama wanted, mama got. She got the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. So they knew possibly that by asking this question that Christ's followers would be divided. Or even more, if he said a whole lot about divorce, maybe even talking about Herod and some of the kings, or he could possibly be destroyed. And they didn't care which one. They wanted actually both. They wanted the crowd to be divided. They wanted him to be destroyed. But it's what as Jesus always does. He comes back with the word of God. Let me tell you, when you ever have a problem in life, the best thing to do is not go to Google it. Go to God. <laughs> what does the Bible have to say? What does the Bible have to say about the issue? Jesus always goes to the, back to the Bible. And look what he says at the end of verse 2. What did Moses command you? What does the Old Testament say? What, did, what does it say? We see the context first and secondly the clarification. The custom of marriage under Moses. Moses, verse 4, suffered you to buy to write a bill of divorcement to put her away or to, avoid, to divorce. Why? For the, what was the reason? For the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. Now, I'm studying this. Warren Wiersbe, one commentator, wrote, The law protected the wife by restraining the husband from impulsively divorcing her and abusing her like an unwanted piece of furniture. Instead of treating her like a human being without a bill of divorcement, a woman could easily become a social outcast and be treated like a harlot. No man would want to marry her, and she would be left, def left defenseless and destitute. That's why the bill of divorcement was given by Moses, because of the hardness of their heart. But look at verse 6. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this cause shall man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they shall twain, they twain, they, and they twain shall be one flesh, so they were no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let none put asunder. So what is the design for marriage? First of all, just simply, God's design for marriage is male and female. No matter, no matter what anybody says, no matter what politicians say, no matter who says what, God's will for people to be married is always man and, man and woman. It's not man and man. It's not woman and woman. It's not man and three women or a woman and five men. We're not Mormon. We're not Mormon. The Bible specifically says a marriage is between a man and a woman. We see the design for marriage. But what's the duty in marriage? For this cause shall man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. This word cleave means to, to cling, to fasten its grip, to follow closely, to hold fast, to stay close, to stick together, to be stuck, cleave one to another. Father and mother have a child. That child leaves them their protection, their provision, and he goes and cleaves, sticks to his wife. That's the picture. No longer one of these days, 25 years from now, from now my, my daughter finally gets married. I hope it, no, it'll probably be a lot sooner than that. I am her provider. I am her protector. But the moment that preacher pronounces them husband and wife, I am no longer her provider. I am no longer her protector. Now, I will always be her parent. 
but I transfer that responsibility to that man. Now she is obligated to obey him, but to honor her father and mother. You see the difference? That's, that's big because sometimes mom and dad say, well, she's still my daughter. She's still listening to me. No, no, she should listen. But obedience is to the husband now, not so much to the mom and dad. Always honor and father, but obedience to the husband. Sometimes some, I know some folks are struggling with that, but that's what the Bible teaches. We see the design for marriage, the duty in marriage, the duration of marriage. And they twain shall be one flesh, and they are no more, then they should no more be twain or two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put us in sunder. God designed marriage to be permanent. We say the words, I would not ever do a marriage unless that couple agreed to say, we will be married till death does us part. Does us part. That's it. Why? Because marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. Is there ever a time Christ in the church is divided, split? Can the church be divided from Christ? Can we be? Can we have this service without talking about Jesus Christ? Dear friend, there is no service without Jesus Christ. There's no, there's no point of us being here without us talking about Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, we have no church. This isn't, this isn't anything because the center of the church is Jesus Christ. He's the word incarnate. We have the word in front of us. So just like Christ and the church is united, man and the wife are supposed to be together till death do them part. That's God's design. You say, well, as far as I know, God always does it right. Amen? His way is always the best way. He's always the best way. So we see the context, the clarification, and the cause for the divorce. So after he teaches this publicly, you know, as often the disciples do, they go off kind of to maybe a different house, and some say possibly even Peter's house or someone else's house, and they kind of ask him some, some different, some more questions. We see this in verse 10. The house of the disciples asked him again of the same matter. And he said to them, Whosoever put away his wife and marry another committed to adultery. They, they, wanted, they wanted some definitions. They wanted to say, okay, we heard what you said, Jesus, but we want you to clarify what it means to divorce. We, we, want, we want some more information. So we see this cause for divorce. Of course, in the Old Testament, there were restrictions in the marriage relationship. Of course, if we, we go through it, as we know, well know in the, in the Ten Commandments, adultery was forbidden. It, was one of the, it's, it is one of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. It's punishable by death. Married, adultery in the Old Testament, the law was, if a person was caught in adultery, that was punishable by death. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. Premarital sex was punished. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 20. Uh, coveting another person's spouse was forbidden. Again, thou shalt not covet, Exodus chapter 20. So we see the restrictions in the marriage relationships, but what was the reason for the restrictions? What was, again, what was the purpose of marriage? Well, remember back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, what did God say to Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the, of the sky and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. You see, in the beginning, man and woman complemented each other in unity. That's what God's design is. And not to be the head, husband be the head or, or the wife, but it just be unity. You doing it as a team. Teamwork makes the dream work. And still, even in, in, in today, in the New Testament, you see in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says about marriage, before it goes into that long passage about 
husbands and wives and says, submitting unto, unto each other in the fear of God. How are you going to get along today with your wife, man? Man, how, man woman, how are you going to get along with your husband? You have to submit to one another. You can't always do what you want to do. If you always do what you want to do, then, dear friend, you probably won't be married more than about five days. It's going to be short marriage because sometimes my wife wants to go, she wants to zig, and I want to zag. If I always zag, there won't be no zig. You got that? That's pretty simple. I know it's real simple, but you, you actually, you know, she wants to do something. You know, I can say no. I'm always going to go to Sonny's Barbecue. That's where I'm going to go every time I go out to eat. What if she says, no, Marty, you know, I, I've been to barbecue about 20 times. Can we go somewhere else? No, I'm going to Sonny's. I have to go to Sonny's. Well, you can do that, but it's going to be cold at night. I'm going to be sleeping on the couch. So you know what I say? Now, what, what do you, where do you want to go, dear? Because you learn something after you've been married for a little while. Happy wife, happy life. Amen. That's Marty 1-1. <laughs> so you have, to, you have to submit yourself one to another in the fear of God. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. That's what this, that was what the design of marriage was in creation. Unfortunately, there was something called the curse. Because of Adam's sin, of course, Eve was deceived by Satan, who was the snake. Adam chose, constantly chose to sin against God and eat the fruit from the gar- of, the, of, the, of, the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He ate of the fruit, and because of that, sin rested upon this couple. And what did God say? In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16, part of the curse. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. So ladies, you all blame Eve every time you have a baby. It's Eve's fault. <laughs> you go through this nine months of pain and then have that child. And the, and the strange thing, it ain't four or five days later or four or five months later, you want to have another one. After all that my wife went through, I thought to myself, well, maybe she won't have another one. She said, I want a son. Well, we got one. We got a son. They want to go, they want to go through the whole thing again. But because of the curse, there was pain and conception. And in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire, look at it, shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So what's the problem of marriage? Because of the curse, man's role is to subdue his wife, to say, I am in charge. But the role of the woman says, my desire is to master you. So the man says, I'm to subdue you, but the woman says, I'm to control you. So there's this contest. Who is going to control who? And that's why there's a problem in marriage. Because the husband's saying, well, I'm the husband. I'm supposed to be over this thing. And the woman says, well, you don't know what you're talking about half the time. You should listen to me. Why don't you ever listen to me? Now, I know none of you have ever had that conversation. None of you folks have ever, ever talked like that. You would never disagree, never have any type of con- conflict of interest about where you go or what TV programs you see or where you spend your money or how you should discipline your children. You would never have any type of arguments like that, right? Right, 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 right. So because of the curse, the wife's temptation, her desire is master, control her husband. His role is to suppress her revolt and cause her to submit to his authority. So that's why there's conflict. So we see the context, the clarification, the cause of divorce, and the command. So what's what he says in verse 11. I'll say it again. 
He said to them, Whosoever put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman put away his, her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. You see, here's the problem. Here's the problem we're in. In society, if you have a bad car, what do you do? You get a new car. You have, uh, you, you're not doing good at your work. You don't like your work. You get a new job. Ah, your, your, uh, your, your, your hammer, man, it, it breaks, so you, know, it's, it, you can't use it anymore, so you get a new hammer. And almost everything in life, if something goes bad or it's not what it, you'd like it to be, you get something new. You get something different. And that's what happens in marriage. That conflict is happening. That conflict is happening. Instead of working it out, instead of getting help, instead of going to God and saying, Lord, help me, please, getting wise counsel, doing everything you, you can, what happens is oftentimes the grass is greener on the other side. And they say, I'll just go get another. But dear friend, getting another spouse is not like getting another pair of shoes. It's not like getting a pair of pants. It's not like getting another car. Because the Bible says marriage is that one permanent relationship that's supposed to be till death do us part. The, besides marriage counseling, the other part of counseling I do is helping kids who've gone, parents who've gone through divorce. And how to reconcile the bitterness that often comes, the hardship, the heartache, the struggles. I can't tell you how many hours I've sat across the desk from a teenager whose parents went through divorce and their bitterness at one or the other parent and struggling to get through that. It is a difficult thing. That's why marriage is serious. Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, that's why God says, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. The Bible says here, God hates divorce. He doesn't just not like it. He doesn't say, I, I, I tolerate it. He says in Malachi, I hate it. He hates it. Romans chapter 7, verse 1, what's Paul the Apostle say to the church at Rome? Know you not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, that how the law was that dominion over man as long as he liveth. For a woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as she liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. And if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no more adulteress, though she be married to another man. You say, preacher, well, what, what is there, is, is, is there any, is there any way in a marriage that it might be biblically dissolved? Is there any way, does the Bible say anything about that? Because obviously people do divorce for lots of reasons. They don't get along, there's, there's spiritual, there's emotional, there's physical abuse. Uh, sometimes uh, people get married and they're both not Christians and one of them gets saved, the other doesn't. And that unsaved person chooses to walk away. The Bible talks about that. But what does the Bible say? If there's a reason for divorce, I believe the, the biblical reason for divorce would be found in adultery. We see it in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1. What did God say back in Deuteronomy? When the Lord thy God shall bring thee in the land. He's talking, this is a, a retelling of the law. Right before Moses is going to go away, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. He gives us these final commandments to the children of Israel. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land where thou goest it, and cast it among many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou, when the Lord thy God shall deliver thee from before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor mercy unto them. Neither thou shalt make marriage with them. 
Thy daughters thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou make unto thy son. He said, you're going into this land that's full of all these ites, the Canaanites. We've been talking about that on Sunday night. These Canaanites were wicked people, descendants of Cain and, and Ham, uh, Cain especially, and, we, we, uh, and how they've, they've, they've made bad decisions. And Moses says, hey, you know what? When you go into this promised land, don't go to the, basically the, the wicked people and marry them because if you do that, it's going to destroy your lineage. It's going to destroy your faith. Don't do that. In the New Testament, Paul says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. If you had a horse and a mule, they wouldn't plow very well, would they? Because they're unequally yoked. As believers, Christians should not marry someone who's not a Christian. It's un you're unequally yoked. It's not right. It's not good. And trust me, I've sat across the desk from people and I've told them, do not marry that person. Not because I didn't like the person. They were, they were neat people. They just weren't Christian. And just as I said, don't do it, 20 years later, they're divorcing. Why? Because they weren't yoked right. They, weren't, they, weren't, they both weren't saved or they both weren't spiritual. And it causes problems. That's what Moses is saying to the people. Hey, you're going to the land. You're going to the promised land. Do not yoke up. Do not marry these heathens. But what did they do? Well, the end of the exile, 70 years after they're released from the Babylonian captivity under Ezra, they come back under Nehemiah, under Zerubbabel, and Ezra is their teacher. Ezra chapter 9, verse 1, now the things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and Levites have not separated themselves from the people of lands according to the abominations, even the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and Amorites. Sound familiar? Moses, at the very beginning, before they go to the promised land, said, don't marry them. They go into captivity because of their sin. After 70 years, they go into the land, and they start, they've, they've mixed with these people. They've married people they should not have married. They married, if in, in our context, unsaved people, wicked people. How does Ezra take this? He says, for they've taken daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the, the hand of the princes and the rulers have been chief in this trespass. Who was the most? The rulers were doing it the worst. It wasn't just the, the, the people who were uh, the least of the land. It was the, the, the leadership was doing this. How did Ezra react in, in Ezra chapter 9, verse 3? When he heard this thing, he said, he rent his garment and my mantle, and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard, and set down a stone on it. I don't have a whole lot of hair on my head to pluck out, but I can't imagine grabbing, a whole, grabbing my hair and my, and my beard and yanking it out. But he was so hurt because the children of Israel had disobeyed God that he sat down, pulled out his hair of his head and on his face, and sat down a stone eye. To be a stone eye means to be totally devastated. It's like when you get that phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning and your mother just died. Your son just died. And you can't even believe it happened. He sat down a stone eye. He was shocked. He was in grief. It was surreal. So what happened? Ezra chapter 10 verse 1. When Ezra had prayed and when he had confessed, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, he was, he was praying, he was repentant, he was praying for the nation. There assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. They were repentant. 
And Shechanah, the son of Jehel, and one of the sons of Elam, answered and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God. We've taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now therefore let us make a covenant with our God to put away our wives, to divorce our wives, and such as born of them, according to the counsel of my Lord, and those things that tremble the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. And what do they do? What, is, what does Ezra tell them to do? Divorce. They had separated themselves from their Jewish wives and married these pagan women. And, and Ezra said, the, the sin of idolatry is worse than the sin of divorce. Remember the first commandment, the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments? Thou shalt have no other gods beside me. Divorce is horrible, but, be, but, but even worse than divorce is idolatry. He tells them to divorce. Well, this is a public thing. But you go to the New Testament, you say, well, is there ever any, any divorce in the New Testament? Well, you know a couple very well who divorced. Matthew chapter 1, verse 9, who almost divorced. When, Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, when Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away. That means to divorce her privately. No, Matthew was written to the Jews. It was written to the Jews. And, and Matthew, of course, he had this, this young lady, probably in her early teens, 13 to 17 years of age. Her name was Mary. You know the story very well. We talk about it a lot at Christmas time. She has, he's married her. He's a spouse to her. Now, in, to the Jews, a spouse, being a spouse or being engaged is, is just like marriage. Just like marriage. They treated it just like marriage. A lot of these were arranged marriages. They said, okay, this is arranged marriage. But in that time where they are separated, the man is going to take care. He's preparing them, uh, the, the family, a place. She's back home preparing herself for the, for the wedding, for the marriage, purifying herself. If there was any uncleanness in her, he could legally put her away. He could legally put her away, divorce her, and remarry. But see, not only could he do that in the engagement period, but also during the time of the marriage. Because remember in the Bible, the Bible says in the Old Testament, if, you, if there's adultery in the marriage, what is that? What does adultery equal? Adultery equals death. And even though they didn't follow the law, oftentimes when there was adultery in a relationship, that man could divorce his wife because she was dead. She was dead to him or, or he, he, her, he was dead to her. And he could or she could remarry. So that's why we see in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32, I say unto you, whosoever should put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. The, we see the context, the clarification, the cause for divorce, the command, and may I say as I close the central truths, dear friend, marriage is, for, is, is God's will for most of us in this room. Marriage is not just the idea of two people who fall in love. It's God's will. For most people, very few exceptions in life, though there are some exceptions, and the Bible talks about it, there, it's God's will for people to be married. Secondly, not only is it God's will, marriage is serious. That's why I started out by saying the two most important decisions you make in this life is trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior and who you marry. Young people, listen to me. Listen to your mom and dad before you get married. Listen. I know you think we who are older don't have a, have a lick of sense. We're dumber sometimes than a box of, box of rocks. But dear friend, experience is knowledge. We've, because of our age, we've seen some things. 
Wise is the Christian young man, Christian young lady, that before they, they make that decision to get married, they go to their mom and dad, they go to their preacher, they go to the elders in the church, the folks that don't have a whole lot of hair or gray hair or thinning hair, and say, what do you think? Because there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Young people, I understand you think you know it all. But this decision, who you marry, is the biggest decision you'll make in this life except outside of trusting Jesus Christ. So you better seek some wisdom. You better ask some people. I met my wife when I was 24. My wife was 25. And I went before Richard Ducey, her dad, and I said, do I have your blessing to marry Angie? And I had 100% contentment if he said no. We've only been married. We've only been dating for about three months. He could have said to me, Marty Moon, who are you? You better work for her by another year. And after about a year, we'll try it now. After you work for a year and I see you for a year, if he just said that, brother, a year, a year would, have seemed, it would have seemed like five days. Because I would have crawled on my bed like a lizard to marry Angie Ducey. But he said, you have my blessing. And because the dad gave me his blessing, I married his daughter. But without the blessing, I would not have done it at 24 years old. You say, preacher, I can, do my, I'm, I can do it my own way. I'm old enough. I'm smart enough. Go ahead. Remember I just told you the closest thing to hell for a person who marries out of God's will is a person who marries out of God's will? See, I'm the one who's talking to a person on the phone while they're crying, and they said I shouldn't have married that person. Or I'm texting and counseling that person who thinks I should have never have married that person. 10, 15, 20, 30 years down the road, and they said, I wish I never, I wish I never. You say, friend, it may not be God's will now, but once you say I do, it's God's will. It's God's will. What God hath put together, let not man put asunder. Be careful, dear friends. Be careful. Because salvation is very serious, and marriage is very serious. You say, preacher, I've been through divorce. Let me say, dear friend, because you've been divorced, you're not a second-class citizen. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? We've all failed. We've all made mistakes, especially in our youth. Everyone in this room could probably, if somebody, if somebody put a video of the things we did when we were 15 or 20 or 25, we'd probably run out of here and scream like a banshee. The mistakes we made in our youth. But oftentimes what Jesus, say, Jesus said to that woman who committed adultery in the very act, he said, go and sin no more. You can't, you can't change the past. The past is the past. Or you can ask forgiveness, you can get right, and you should. But dear friend, what do you, all you can do is from now, from this point on, go forth. May God help us realize the seriousness of salvation and the seriousness of marriage. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your word. It's perfect, it's precious, it's preserved, it's powerful. God, we thank you, God, that it brings peace. <laughs> oh, divorce, like so many subjects, there's so many opinions about it, but your word brings clarity. We thank you for it. I pray, Lord, that everyone in this room has understood the truths that we've heard this morning from your word. Head bowed, eyes closed. Maybe someone in this room said, Pastor Moon, you talked about salvation at the very beginning of your message. I don't know if I were to die today, I'd, I'd go to heaven. I really don't know. 
God forbid, God forbid something were to happen to me today and I, were, I was to die, I am not 100% sure I'd go to heaven. But I want to go. I really want to go to heaven. I don't want to doubt my salvation. I want to think about me spending eternity outside of the love of God in a real place called hell. Preacher, I'm not sure if I died today I'd go to heaven, but I want to go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all? Anybody at all? The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what mistakes you've made, whatever failures, whatever struggles. God loves you. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you on the cross. He paid for your sins on that old rugged cross, and he wants to save you. His will is not any of you perish, but that all should come to repentance. Preacher, I'm not sure if I, if I was to die today. I'm not sure if I was to die today, I'd go to heaven, but I want to. Anybody at all to pray for? I won't embarrass you, but I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Preacher, to be honest, I'm married, but I'm having some marriage struggles. <laughs> That's not uncommon. All of us, and I say all of us, from time to time in our marriage go through struggles. You say, Preacher, I'm married, but I'm struggling. Would you pray for me that God would give me just the grace and the strength and the courage to continue? I know it's God's will for me to continue in this relationship, but would you give me grace and strength to continue, to forgive, to be submissive? To love, for love covers a multitude of sins. God, God, I need God's help in this marriage. Would you pray for me? Anybody be honest this morning? I'm struggling. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else be honest? The only way you're ever going to change is you're honest that you're struggling. Preacher, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to be honest. Would you pray for me? It's not a, it's not a confession of weakness. It's a confession of honesty. I'm struggling. Would you pray for me? Anybody else? Anybody else? Let's stand to our feet this morning. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, Brother Clayton's here. I'll be here myself. I'd love to take the Bible. He'd love to take the Bible. And from the Word of God, show you how you can be saved. If you're struggling in marriage or maybe some other relationship or some other area, it doesn't have to be marriage. Oftentimes when I'm preaching, God is speaking to you about a whole different thing. Whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about, would you come forward and say, God, I need help today. I'm struggling in the area of my life. I need help. We're here, dear friend, not to condemn you, but to love you and encourage you and to help you. You may need some encouragement. Would you come as the music plays? Would you listen to the Holy Spirit of God? Would you come?